Greetings, Coven, all of you magical beings out there. This is Kelly, popping in real quick at the top of the episode to let you know that we are running a supporter survey. It is way past time that the Library Coven gets to know our audience and way past time that we get your feedback about the content that we're making. Click on the link in the show notes to take the Library Coven survey. It shouldn't require more than five to ten minutes, and we really appreciate it. So please, please take the survey. Okay, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And this week we're talking about the third book in the Court of Thorns and Roses series, Akawar, A Court of War- Wings and Ruin? Yeah, yep. Wings and Ruin. Wings and Ruin. So spoilers for the whole series. Um, you can check out episode 14 for our A Court of Thorns and Roses episode and episode 21 for our A Court of Mist and Fury episode. You're doing great with these. <laughs> these long ass titles. In this book, Ferris starts out in the spring court, bringing it to its knees as retribution for every terrible thing that Tamlin has ever done. She escapes back to the night court with Lucian so she can get back together with her mate Rasand and help all of Prithian and the human realm take on Highburn, who basically wants to kill everyone. It's a good synopsis, right? That's what's going on in here. I think that's an excellent synopsis. Well done. This is the last episode of the season. We've done 20 book episodes this season. Not to mention all of our great British Bake Off episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we do love a GBBO. It's fantastic. So this is our last episode of the season. It comes out in early March of 2021. And then we are going to be on a, a bit of a break. I mean, kind of. We won't be releasing book episodes until June 1st. So that's a little while away. <laughs> yep. So we're going to take a little bit of time and slow our roll on the podcast production and well obviously obviously we still have things coming like interviews and the more of you who fill out the audience survey the more we'll know what direction and changes to make so here is the segue into please 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 take the survey some of you have already done so so thank you so much we're already learning a lot from the answers like for example some of you didn't know we have a coffee coffee how do you pronounce this I think it's coffee, like a cup, like you're buying someone a cup of coffee. It's like a tipping, online tipping platform, right? Mm-hmm. Then you can buy us a coffee if you want, or tea. I mean, we don't go anywhere, but we definitely have to buy tea. We have to buy a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a Patreon page where we set it up as a pay-as-you-go model for as little as $1 a month. We know it's like hard, obviously, financially right now for a lot of folks, so... If you're interested in being part of our Discord group chat, which is like one of the Patreon perks, but you can't join us on Patreon with a financial contribution, we do not want any of that to be a barrier to entry at all. So send us an email or slide into our DMs and join us because you can just let us know and we'll add you to the to the group and no questions asked, like you can join us on our Discord. Yeah, we talk about fun stuff like baking and books and knitting and whatever else you guys want to talk about. So we're here to just chat with y'all. We're chill. Yeah, we're cool. There's fun people. <laughs> Initial reactions? 
you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? Whichever you prefer. <laughs> no, that is not fair. You can't just punt this question back to me. <laughs> I am a Libra. Decisions are not my forte. <laughs> I'm a Libra rising. So this is like not. <laughs> we are terrible together. Okay, I'll go first. I'll go first. So the first time I read this book, I don't think I really liked it that much. Probably because I really enjoyed the enemies to lover trope. And I so enjoyed the tension between Feyre and Reese and Akamath. And that's not there at all in this book. The sizzle. Yeah, I know. I just like want that tension so badly. The pining. Oh my God. Oh, I love it. But reading, rereading it now, I really enjoyed it and getting to see the small parts, uh, like a very small part of Faye Sands HEA, Happily Ever After. We don't really get to see that much beyond when characters get together in a book usually. So I enjoyed seeing them actually being in a relationship. I was dreading reading this a bit, but now I'm really happy. <laughs> Why were you to, dreading to it? I've reread it. Because I I remember not really liking it that much. Uh, uh-huh. But my copy of A Court of Silver Flames is in quarantine right now. And it'll be out in two days. And I am so excited to inhale that book. Um, because uh, I forgot how much I love Nesta and Cassian. <laughs> and yes. the book is so chonky. Like, it is massive. And oh, I just yes. can't wait. Girthy. Cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, I love that that's the energy that we're taking into this episode. Like, I was so excited to talk to this with you about this because this is one of the authors that we first bonded about, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I encountered SJM, as we call her here. <laughs> I don't know if that's what we call her, Sarah Jane I don't Ross. even mention her name at the beginning <laughs> of the show. Like, as if, like, <laughs> she has a name. She's written a lot of books. It's Sarah J. Mass. So yes. I encountered Sarah J. Maz several years ago when my soul like really needed some fantasy during the crucible of the PhD process. And I have always loved fantasy and read it ever since I was a kid, like also like widely. But I'd been reading a lot of dead white men TM <laughs> for my uh, seminars. So SJM's books were one of the things that we bonded over first when we first met. And I told you to read Tower of Dawn. <laughs> You're like, but it's so long. It's so long, and I don't like whatever his name is. Cole, Cowell. I don't know. Cowell, Kale, Cowell, Kale, Cowell, Cole. I don't know. So, like, love language because you did read that book for me. I did. Also I for did. yourself, but yeah, um, I enjoyed it. It was good. Anyway, back to Akawar. That's like a different series mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that we will not be doing episodes for. <laughs> yeah, everyone, we can't go back. I can't go back and read those. There's so many other books that we are excited to read. Yes, yes. Maybe Kingdom of Ash. It depends on how much demand there is. Yeah. Let us know if you really want us to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Jesse's eye roll when she said that. (laughs) I'm letting you behind the fourth wall. Well, it's like the virtual (laughs) broadband wall. (laughs) Fifth wall? Fifth wall? I don't know. No walls. Anyways. Anyways. So, Akawar. It was my first reread. I couldn't help but, like, notice some cringy things. Like the sanism and the sexism mostly and I overall love the series and enjoy face and and the exciting battles and the side character development I'm stoked for silver flames and I wrote this and I was like it's a pun (laughs) (laughs) but it was unintentional if you can believe it so I left it in because it's a running joke about my overuse of puns and Jesse dealing with it she's like kissing her teeth right now she's like nope (laughs) 
All right. So we, we just love Sarah J. Mass. I guess that's the point of this whole thing. We love these we love these books. Probably a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> the emotional ride they take you on. Oh my gosh. So good. So, so good. good. Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. We get to see other courts this time. Actually, I should mention, I didn't take very good notes while I was reading because I really got immersed in it. So, like, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to really fuck this no, up. No, no, no. This is, it might be a little bit of Kelly being like, here's things on the table. And have you looked yeah. these over yet? No, no. Awesome. I so, this is going to be, you're going <laughs> to yeah. get very, yeah, very candid content, everyone. So, I think we go to the Dawn Court <laughs> where Thiessen is. Is that where we are? Did you is even look go? at the map? Oh, no. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> of course I did not. not. I don't course. look at maps. Exactly. They're useless. I don't even know how to re- use a real map. This is a joke <laughs> in my book club, our low stakes book club. Hello, book club members. <laughs> Shout um, out. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah, I don't know how to. I'm really bad at using maps in real life. So I, I love how beautiful they are in books, but they are useless to me. My sense of direction is terrible. So Dawn Court, is that where we go? I think so. Okay, that's where Decent like the court. that's where like their the Avengers meet for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's how I thought of it like the whole time. I didn't think of that, and I love that analogy so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do get to see the other courts, some of them. I mean, like one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we see the spring court again, and they're like back in the middle, and they kind of go through the autumn court a little bit when Feyren, Lucian, mm-hmm. Lucian, however you say his name, are escaping from spring court or whatever. Mm-hmm. then winter court we see a little bit of the animals in their army it's like you do not leave the animals out of this it reminded me of like um his dark materials you know like the bears totally the polar bears yeah that's all i could think of was those bears well, and like the i was just like hoping that pharaoh was gonna be like oh wait the human quote-unquote animal divide is like a complete made up because it's like there's foxes and sweaters doing your work then it's like if they can work for free then I don't know. That's a good point. Didn't think about that. Liberation. <laughs> Let those animals go. <laughs> From the military industrial complex. <laughs> anyway, we do get to see a lot of other courts. And then there's also like battlefields, which seemed, I don't remember where they took place. Adriata and where's the last battle? I don't really remember. I don't remember. Like I said, I don't, maps aren't a thing. Oh my God, of course. Are maps. Uh, so I don't know. It's just like these huge fields. Which is funny, having grown up in Virginia, like you do go to a lot of these like battlefields and they are literally just fields. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, why? Like, isn't there a different way that we could do this? Also, why are we like keeping these fields as memorials to like old wars that happen? It's kind of not to mention like the plantation. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm watching Vampire Diaries. There's lots of plantation stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Those Southerners, man. (laughs) I was going to say something. Your your comment about going to see other courts made me think of. Oh, we can. Can we go to this last battle then? Yes. We talked about Avengers, right? This mm-hmm, last mm-hmm. battle is like had very Avengers endgame energy and mm-hmm, and or mm-hmm. like Battle of Helm's Deep. If people are yeah. Lord of the Rings people. Yeah. I don't know. It just like listening. So I listened to it. And at the very end, it's very much like. <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed like an Oprah Winfrey show where it's just like you get reinforcements and you get reinforcements and like and you get a car. I mean, reinforcements. Everyone gets reinforcements. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. 
I mean, I guess it's just kind of like how superhero stuff goes. And I guess we could kind of think of like, you know, them as superhero adjacent. Definitely. Especially in battles like where they everyone eventually gets together. Like it's like in Avengers, like the small movies like Spider-Man or like one Thor movie, like the first Thor, like nobody else is coming to help. And you're like, where the fuck are the other Avengers right now? Like what is Captain America doing that they're not coming? Like he's not coming to help when obviously there's some kind of spaceman coming to Arizona in Thor. Like why aren't y'all helping each other when shit's going down in Spider-Man, you know? Exactly. But this does not happen in this book. Everyone comes and joins together. I am excited to see the repercussions of this in A Court of Silver Flames because, like, Baron's Court, which is the Autumn Court, like, didn't really want to be there. And I'm guessing we're going to see some fallout with um, Moore's dad, whose name I can't remember. Kier? Being able to go to Valaris. Yeah, Kier. Like, going to Valaris now. So, like, they've really... Sarah J. Mass did a good job of setting this up for more books. There's, like, more tension, more drama to be had. Yeah, and I remember we both read A Court of Frost and Starlight, but I, like, don't mm-hmm. remember what happened. It was, like, a Nessian novella or something, but I don't really remember. Only kind of. I think we see Nessa, like, dealing with alcoholism after, like, the fallout of all this stuff, and she's still being really shitty to Cassian, so, like, we'll see where... I'm not gonna... I'm not rereading that one. I really did not no. enjoy it that Mm-mm. much, so... I was expecting them to, like, hate fuck after the battle or whatever, and then that didn't happen. Yeah. But we're excited for the book to come for A Court of Silver Flames. I just have to wait two more days. Two more days. (laughs) Two more sleeps. (laughs) I guess as we're talking about war, I think the book does a really good job of, like, not glorifying war, even though there's a lot of it going on. I think that's really easy to have happen, like, in Avengers. Like, they're not really talking about, like, well, I guess you do kind of see the fallout of that, like, the mental health issues and (laughs) the worldly issues. You kind of see, like... Like in the beginning chapter, Rusand is talking about like the first war and like looking for his friends. And it's like kind of graphic, which is another reason why maybe this book doesn't belong in YA. But I appreciate it that it wasn't like, like you see the characters kind of dealing with how hard it is to like kill another person. They're still doing it to like protect themselves and their people. But like there are ramifications and they're not great. I agree. And what you're saying makes me think about how they... It was very impactful how the how they start. It's like bookended with Reese chapters. Rice? Reese? I don't even know. Reese and? Reese and. Yeah. But like, how do you say Reese then? The short version? Yeah, Reese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not Rice. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Just how the, like, these are generational conflicts. They spend so much time not dealing with the fallout of the last war. And that's why we're here at the this current one, you know, that's taking place in Aquar. Yeah, just like temporality kind of collapses in that way because it's also the king of Highburn and it's also Jurian who was in a ring for five centuries or whatever. 500 years, yeah. I'm also like, can, you guys can get your shit together in 500 years? Like, what the fuck were you doing that whole time? Embarrassing. It's a long time. <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> Chastised. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you, America, also. Like, what are you oh my doing? God. <laughs> totally. Oh my God, totally. <laughs> Aside from the war, I also really enjoyed seeing Ferris spend time with everyone in the inner circle without Reese around. So we get a little bit of a better sense of like what those relationships look like and how they might grow over time. Um, we get a little bit of this in the last book with her spending time with like Moore and Amran and Cassian. But I think I really appreciated that time she spent with Asriel since he seems like 
the most mysterious and unknown of the group. And I'm like, will he get his own book? I kind of hope so. I would like to know more about him, even though I know it's going to like utterly destroy me. <laughs> right. <laughs> to because read his backstory. He's stuff. got the, the very traumatic backstory. Mm -hmm. But I also would like to know about it. You know, like I want to know. I want him to have his happy ending, both literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like put it in the book. <laughs> Yeah, put it in a book. <laughs> Sarah J. Mass, if you're listening to this, I would like an Asriel book before we get more of that Crescent City stuff. <laughs> uh, we love you. Yes, I'm just feeling some kind of way this morning. So. <laughs> She's, sips tea. Both of us are going to sip tea right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you don't have your Satan mug. I know. I got this new mug and it keeps my coffee warm for like the whole podcast episode. So I'm, it's a thing. That's clutch. Normally with this big mug, I have to like heat it up three times. I know. It's, it's a very annoying. <laughs> Let's discuss all things magic. Winnowing is a pretty useful, magical innovation to avoid all those travel sequences that Jesse loves so much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> we do have a little bit of travel but it's like filled with lots of action so it was actually fun and and we're getting to see new courts it's not just like i mean they're like climbing mountains and stuff and all i could think of was like the rocky mountains i'm like wow i cannot imagine having to climb a fucking mountain in the snow with like no clothes on you sleep, know sleep in a cave survive yeah yeah brutal Ugh. yeah we see favorite kind Thank of you for <laughs> what do you say I was just going to say, thank you for leaving out the travel sequences, though. Did appreciate it. It leaves out the travel sequences, but at the same time. So, like, does Feyre know how to winnow? Yes, she can winnow. Mm -hmm. She can. She gets, mm -hmm. like, she's, like, the super magical, gets all of the powers, right? And we see her coming yeah. more into that as this, with this story, you know, using all of her mm -hmm. different powers and stuff. Um, Learning how to fly. Yeah, that was cool. What do you think about, like, that part of Feyre? character development and the magical system and stuff i mean i think it's cool i like it because uh, i mean we see a little bit of it in the last book but i like it in this book because she's kind of like taking owner like everyone gave her a piece of their magic you know and obviously the other courts are kind of pissy about it <laughs> but she's kind of like taking it into her own and using it to the best of her ability now when they're traveling they can't winnow because like of the fey bane stuff which which made sense so like she is having trouble but it was cool because she's like super powerful and I enjoyed that part. Like she could probably go toe to toe with Rhysand if she had to. I don't know why she would, but you know, if she had to. If she had to, she probably could. We get the Ouroboros, mm -hmm. which is like this figure of the snake eating its tail, right? So like infinity basically beginning and endings. And it's a magical object. We have a magical mirror. I saw it as like a potential metaphor for like what new agey people now call like shadow work. You know, so I haven't heard that term before. So it's like looking at the parts of yourself that you like really feel ashamed and guilty and like all of those feelings that are like ugly that you don't want to like approach. Jessie's shaking her head. <laughs> She's like, absolutely <laughs> not. Feelings? Oh my God, no. <laughs> so like Feyre's whole thing is like, I had to look at these parts of myself and accept them and like all of these things. So I, it felt like a little bit like, this is my inner spiritual journey in the, I don't know. It's just magic, I guess. Is that magic? I think, I mean, I think <laughs> so. And I do think it's like a, you have to be a certain kind of person to be able to like do that in such a way and not like, 
I, the book talks about a lot about like people going insane from doing it, which is like, mm. but I do think it takes a certain kind of person to be able to look at the bad parts of themselves and accept that and realize what they need to change and actually make those changes. Like that's really hard mm-hmm. and not something I'm interested in doing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just think it'd be really hard. Like you really have to like sit with yourself and that's a really difficult thing to do or even want to do or I don't know. It, it does take a lot of courage and I think that's kind of what the book is trying to show us. Like favorite is brave and like blah, 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 you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. I think you're the way you succinctly round tied a bow on that is like yes chef's kiss <laughs> we also see some new magic from highburn who can project himself we haven't seen something like that before like in the other books i don't think so i thought that was kind of cool because most of the magic we see in this book we have seen small snippets of it from Feyre or from other high lords um but this was like the one thing where i was like oh that's pretty cool like you could go somewhere without having to leave home really convenient during a pandemic just pointing that out it's like vr meets hologram or something mm-hmm. yeah that'd be really cool oh my gosh vr so cool it'd be so cool to have like going to concerts <laughs> yes oh my gosh that would be amazing oh, wow now you just have me dreaming all sorts of tech dreams i know right <laughs> That's a cool new kind of magic. And you're right that we didn't really see new stuff except maybe the cauldron, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we st- also got snippets of that before. Yeah. I think it's kind of different in this book as because we see like the cauldron is like holding together all of reality almost. Like if it's broken and everything in it spills out, like what's inside it is going to eat up what is already there. And that's kind of scary. So black holes, maybe. I don't know. Creepy. <laughs> yeah. Black holes. And at the same time, there's also like this womb in it like Mm -hmm. imagery and stuff that they Mm -hmm. play around with the language and then also like the way that they worship things and the things they pray for you know and the like fertility rituals which we'll get into that later or we've already done that in previous episodes so (laughs) go back and listen and like the mother like the you know yeah yeah thing you know so yeah there's a lot of like that kind of fecundity which also is like kind of hard because i'm like it's very like you know binary (laughs) yeah yeah that's true and just we'll, we'll get into it later but anyway yeah I don't know why that came up. <laughs> magic? The cauldron as a magical magic, thing. <laughs> magic, magic objects. There we go. What are your thoughts on this, like, being able to resurrect people as, like, a sort of deus ex machina, which is God from a machine, that sort of trope, you know, where something comes down out of the... It was quite literally for Greek tragedy, like, it would come down from the sky, you know, like, roll down on, like, a, yeah. like a, <laughs> like a pulley system. Yeah, swinging on a rope or something. <laughs> And this god would come in and fix all the problems. And I don't know, it, it feels a little bit like that to me just because of, it gets used several times and to both of the like main people. Like the first time when it was Feyre and you didn't really know that it was resand with the mating bond and everything, it was like, that I was... I mean, didn't we though? <laughs> I, mean, we, I mean, you probably did. But, I, but it was like the bargain or I don't know. That time I think it worked, but like with the resand at the end, and I don't know. And then Amran is like, "Oh, hi here, I'm here too." You know. Oh yeah, I forgot about Amran. Yeah. What do you think about this? It's hard because if resand had died, I'd probably never read another SJM book again. Throws book at um, wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crying and just give up on her forever. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It was fine the first time, but a second time seems a little too much. I don't think she'll do it again because. Like, the other High Lords are not going to keep giving away a little bit of their power. Like, 
I was surprised they did it in the first place. Powerful people very rarely. You don't get things by just like asking it from them. You take it. <laughs> just asking nicely. Well, Feyre was like, I don't give a fuck. I will go in their minds and make them That's do true. this if I have to. I kind of wish that they had done that instead because then it would be like more realistic. Like they weren't going to give it up, but Feyre will take what she's got. She's, she'll do what she has from, to do. From to like seven powerful men. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. I know. Yeah, right. That's like the least believable thing about this fantasy novel. <laughs> I know. I'm like, fairies, yes. A cauldron that can like destroy these non corporal walls, yes. But like men giving up their power, oh my God, like this is some real fantasy <laughs> shit. <laughs> That's an excellent segue. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villain, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. I mean, definitely Highburn. He's basically starting a war because he's mad he can't have slaves anymore and he's expected to treat humans like they're not trash. Like, is this a civil war analogy? Like, north and south shit? Like, oh, Highburn is the worst. I'm glad that guy is dead. (laughs) It seemed like the colonizers got kicked out. Okay, Highburn got kicked out. And then Mm -hmm. they're salty for 500 mm-hmm. years about it mm-hmm. and then we're like our only path forward is to like try and reclaim this glorious past it's like past is prologue y'all that is a theme for this for this flipping episode right it's very like january 6th capital insurrection i'm like y'all should have waited a little longer i guess <laughs> like build up your forces like what are you doing have you never read a book <laughs> exactly have you not paid attention I mean, don't take Yeah, don't take my advice. Stop storming the Capitol. That was ridiculous. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's also fitting for the Get Me Kylo Ren section. Yeah, Highburn's just the worst. And, like, he's just real salty about, like, not being able to have slaves and, like, having less land that he probably stole from other people anyways. Yeah, as less, like, free labor and resources. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, the other courts aren't doing great with their treatment of, like, quote, unquote, the lower fae or whatever. But, you know slightly better I, guess. I think yeah the the civil war analogy it does seem like this and it i don't know doesn't it seem like this is a pretty well-trod like terrain as far as plots go in like sff is like people who are powerful want to enslave and or colonize and or extract resources from lands belonging to or stewarded by you know less like marginalized marginalized folks and then it's like that's the conflict i think especially in like science fiction and fantasy for adults more so than like what we get in ya because like when i think about well actually that's a good point yeah yeah yeah. ll mckinney yes because obviously the the stuff is coming into the real world that they want to take over but when i think about like the cruel prince like the fae aren't trying to really like take over the human realm or whatever the conflicts are different but maybe the same no you're right you're right like there's this there's always this point about like taking someone's autonomy away Mm-hmm. I guess because that's like the big bad like that's what we're most scared of as human beings is not being in control of our selves and our spaces and our destiny maybe yeah Dun-da-da-dun. good segue into the cauldron <laughs> <laughs> possible analog for high-tech weapons because the way that Hybern is using the cauldron you know it just made me think of like drones and bombs nuclear otherwise biochemical warfare you know like just taking this the creative potential that is technology if we take it as like an analog or whatever and then you the way like they're not good or bad in themselves it's how you use that i feel like this is also a running theme in this segment 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it all depends on what you do with it. <laughs> that makes it bad or good. Tamlin? No, I like that. Especially- oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. No, it's good. We're good. No, I want to hear her. What are you going to say? I was just going to say, like, it's especially, like, because we see the cauldron being used as, like, um, I like the, like, analogy to, like, the nuclear bombs or, like, chemical warfare because it's, like, it's, like, taking out whole swaths of their, like, army group. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> their brigade? I don't, I don't know. Whatever they're called. You know, they're troops. <laughs> troops. They're called troops. Um, <laughs> they're, like, taking out huge swaths of them all at once. And, like, Nesta's, like, somehow connected to it. And that's how she, like, saves Cassian, you know? So it's like very interesting because now Nesta is also connected to this bad thing. And I am interested to see how that plays out in the quarter silver flames. <laughs> yeah. And she like took something back is what they call yeah. it. Which I, I am a big Nesta fan personally. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't that. know why people hate her so much. <laughs> Cause she's kind of a bitch. I love it. Me too. <laughs> I'm here for it. Tamlin's redemption arc question mark. I put this in here just because I wanted to provoke you into a Tamlin rant. <laughs> I, oh, you know what? I don't think everyone deserves a redemption arc. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, 50 plus episodes, you know that I believe that a hundred percent. And most of that probably comes from my real life where I'm like, not everyone deserves my forgiveness. And Tamlin is one of those people. Like he stole Feyre from her home he like would not let her leave he basically lied to her while he tried to like convince her to fall in love with him like just i know he couldn't tell her but like dude you can figure it out like and then when she decides to like take her ass somewhere else because he's being a piece of shit he like freaks out and like sends people to go bring her back like he's the fucking cops or something no no, Tamlin does not. He basically becomes he becomes an informant for CoIntel Pro, basically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and starts working exactly. with Hybert. <laughs> with yeah. Fuck Tamlin. Fuck his redemption arc. He doesn't deserve it. That's ugh. yeah. I have a friend who's reading the first book right now and they're like, I don't understand why Ta- like why Pharaoh's like kind of upset. Like she's getting this like this nice home to live in and like Tamlin doesn't seem that bad and I'm like just wait till you get to the next fucking book like fucking I can't wait. wait you're just like probably biting your time to wait to talk to this person about it <laughs> exactly <laughs> what are your thoughts on Tamlin's redemption arc <laughs> um it's like it seems like a a thread that's trying to be woven into the tapestry of the series and I'm just like does he deserve it I agree with you. Not really. Like, how has his behavior substantially changed? He gave away one, the like... The tithe? <laughs> right? Oh, my God. Yeah, he was, like, the taxes... His, his, like, tax regime. Oh, my God. Although I have feelings about that with with Feyre, that we'll talk about in class. I don't know. Just complicity. Tamlin is, like, complicit. And, like, is that typical, like, doesn't see himself... Like, sees himself as a victim. And, like, at the same time, treats other people as objects that he can possess like Feyre he literally like started a fucking war because he was like no no no, I'm entitled to this person yeah I feel like it's the thread in like a lot of YA novels like this theme of like forgiveness and forgiving I mean if we think about it honestly Tamlin is like an abusive partner like he's literally holding her captive in book two and you don't have to forget like I don't know why Okay, actually, I do know why people are like really have 
like this whole thing about forgiving people. And I do think it probably comes back to the fact that like, as a society, most of us have been raised with like Christian values and that equates to like always forgiving people for doing you wrong. But I just very hard disagree with this. And I don't think everyone deserves our forgiveness. Like just cut them out of your life. Like you don't have to stay with people who are abusive to you. You don't have to forgive them if you don't want to. Like it's fine to just be like, I don't want to think about this person anymore. I don't want them in my life, but they don't deserve my forgiveness. And I think that's okay. I don't really think of like not forgiving people as this like festering thing within you because you can move on with your life without forgiving people. It all depends on the kinds of boundaries you're setting and the kinds of your own personal healing journey or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. there are ways to do it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just like not here for this. We always have to forgive the villains of the story. Like Tamlin's a villain in book two. And I don't think the villain always needs to be forgiven for what they've done. And for the vast majority of book three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just not here for I it. agree with you and especially because it's like look how much slack these who, who are the people who are given the most slack and the most benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt like oh yeah mm-hmm. it's the super powerful Tamlins who yeah. are white but insist on being described as golden skinned <laughs> we'll get to that <laughs> later <laughs> what the fuck is oh whatever yeah <laughs> yeah anyways yeah I'm not here for Tamlin's redemption arc nope. I don't think you have to like it's obviously up person by person if they want to forgive people that is a hundred percent on them but I don't think we need to like always be pushing this narrative that you have to forgive every person who's ever done something wrong to you it's not fair to people who are the victims of abuse of any kind fuck you Tamlin (laughs) mic drop in I think Akawar is playing with this like the blurred line between monsters and villains and how they're not necessarily the same thing. It's not that simple. Cause we do see like Amran and the bone carver and Striga, who's the weaver and Bryaxis, who's the like incorporeal terrifying thing in the bottom of the library. Yeah. I just, that, that human queen who turns into a firebird. Yeah. Vasa. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So we're seeing how, it's like giving a different lens on the idea of what a monster is, I guess. Yeah, like it's not, it's not dependent on like how you appear outwardly doesn't make you monstrous. Yeah, which is like Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah. Except that dude was also kind of an asshole. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's Tamlin. Yeah. Oh my God. Full <laughs> fucking circle. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. I like Braxis though. That was cool. I keep imagining Braxis as a dragon. Oh, cool. I don't know why. I think be- at one point in the scene, Braxis like wraps around Feyre when Feyre is like facing down those two Highburn people. And it, for some reason, it just made me think of a dragon. I don't know why, but that's how in my head. That's interesting because I imagine it kind of like the Stranger Things monster you know the oh. like incorporeal like tentacle mm-hmm. smoke kind of thing I don't know how I imagined it the first time like I think I was just like yeah. slamming through this the first time mm-hmm. you know yeah. uh, so I was like paying more attention to things this on this reread maybe it looks different to different people because we see when Briaxis is like in the battle scenes it is like causing people to die of terror so maybe can kind of like look different to different people. 
Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. Let's start with race. Helion is black. We get a high lord that's black, and I'm like, here for it. That's uh, That was all I had to say about that. Is Tarquin black? Tarquin, I'm not sure. I think maybe we did say that in the last episode, or at least he's like darker. Maybe like me. I don't know. Everyone there has like blonde hair, but dark skin and blue eyes. How is how? There are okay. There are a group of people, and I forget where it is. Um, my old boss told me about them, and I don't even remember where it was. But they are like darker than me. They're like brown, but not like black. And they have blue eyes, and because they're out in the sun a lot, they have like light hair. Their hair is like mine. So it is possible. Phenotypes. <laughs> there, there's all sorts of wonderful different things and they don't have to mean anything class wise, but there are exactly very or like right, It doesn't have to mean anything, you know, but there's a construct that is operating. Yeah. And there are a lot like very few non-white, non-golden skinned. <laughs> what? What? People in the. Yeah. And so like I would say that there is race at work here, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna assume everyone in Helion is from the Day Court, Sun Court. I don't remember. Day Day Court. Day. He's basically a really badass librarian. I'm like, oh, this is cool. He's like hoarding knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm guessing his people also look like him because it seems like for the most part, the people of each court look similar. Like the High Fae mm-hmm. quotes there look look similar. So I'm guessing the day court is like all black people. And I think that's pretty cool. And I hope we get to see more of that later. I agree with you. I could have sworn that the summer court was also portrayed as like Tarquin, right? Tarquin is the person of the summer court. Yeah. Yeah. I could have is. sworn I think that they were right. also portrayed as black. I think so. so it's like the I day court wasn't... and the summer court. I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. So we do have some black characters. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> If we read this correctly, <laughs> but, but it's also like, doesn't substantially affect their like lived experience. No, like similar to the other books, there's not much going on with race in the novels, I think, but like the Illyrians are described as Brown, but it also seems like the Illyrians are treated poorly because they're not high fae. And so maybe like the class distinctions seem to matter more than like the racial distinctions. I don't know. It's also like this weird race species thing, you know, mm-hmm. because you're dealing with fey and then high fey, lesser fey. High fey is even capitalized. Yeah. It's like a pretty raced class system because we see it like how the distribution of resources is affected and like mm-hmm. zero visibility for en- z- practically no representation of anyone who's not quote unquote high fey, except for yeah. some, the Nuala and Caridwin, the Yeah, but they're like race right they're like different beings we have some like a few different oh, yeah. beings but the people we get the most airtime with and the, like the people who are the focus of the story are these like super yeah. uh amazing fey beautiful white mm-hmm. for the most part beings yeah for sure the person on instagram who is um, the lit me down when they were reading akamath maybe they were like convinced that resand is poc so i don't know maybe i mean it's possible. I just, what is golden skin? And also honey brown was used. I, I started yelling, like, what is golden? I started, like, exclaiming <laughs> out loud every time because I was listening to the audiobook. And I was like, oh, my God. Uh. 
when I hear golden skin, you know how like, okay, I don't know if you've experienced this because you never live near like the ocean, but like sometimes there's like these white people who will get like really tan in the summer and then their hair gets like really blonde and then it's gone in like the winter and that's what i think of when i think of golden skin i think of like tan white (laughs) (laughs) okay okay but thank you like that's what i think we need to say but i don't know if that's what that means or if this is sarah j mass's way of saying they're brown without like just saying it you know yeah or is it like ambiguous yeah everyone's like this like perfect mix yeah in the middle or i don't even know well because like i would say like i have brown skin but like do they look like me or do they look like a tan white person like that's very different you know exactly i don't know and also there's a lot of different kinds of honey and also what is honey brown like i've never seen honey that wasn't like yellow (laughs) (laughs) yeah golden yellow is it it's yellow kind of i'm Hmm. maybe i'm maybe i'm golden skinned (laughs) yeah i have no idea my white arm to the camera <laughs> kelly's like literally up to the camera like is this golden i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know what these colors are no idea just it's putting it out there friends purpose, maybe mm-hmm. just laying it out there and there's also some tidbits that i have noticed here and there for example when amron is explaining hybrid's geopolitical situation she says hybrid's wealth has been dwindling dwindling for centuries most of their trade routes before the war dealt with the south with the black land this is on page 164 and it's like, what are these shortcuts saying? You know what I mean? I just think we got to like air this out. Not like yeah. we have to discuss it a lot, but just to like put it out there with this platform, you know? Yeah. Like it, like we should be questioning, like, what does this mean? Like, why is it called the black land? Do black people live there? Like trade routes with the South? Like that also sounds like slavery. And be- yeah, exactly. And it sounds like, like trade routes with the South. That just sounds like a colonization again, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah also where did these lesser fae come from like have the high fae just taken over their land or who's farting who, farting <laughs> fighting in hybern's <laughs> armies <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> you know exactly. are they like stealing yeah. people yeah because they made it seem like it was like hybern like the people of hybern are frustrated with not being like having their wealth still and like not ha- you know but is it also just people who have like hybern is also tricking them like he's not being in communication with the other courts on purpose so that he can have this war this all sounds very familiar and very (laughs) prescient doesn't it doesn't it Mm -hmm. who says fantasy's escapist yeah isn't according to who (laughs) what about class got a few things battle of adriata is chapter 36 we have basically the titanic situation class violence the high fae, quote unquote, are barricading themselves in the upper levels of the castle. So there's verticality, you know, literally and figuratively going on in the scene. And then leaving the lesser fae to fend for themselves against the invading, quote unquote, lesser fae, to fend for themselves against the invading soldiers. And it's just the high fae are the ones who supposedly have quite literally magical powers in order to be able to fight and not to mention the like training and education in order to be able to do so. And so it's like when shit hits the fan, we're seeing that class solidarity fucking isn't like obviously isn't there. There was never there to begin with, you know, because of the really strict hierarchical divisions. Yeah. And I think I think that's supposed to like pit Feyre as like a hero because she's like helping the people without the power, which is nice. But also like, are you doing it at home? (laughs) Exactly. 
yeah, are you doing it at home? Which gets to this one point that I wanted to make about like earlier we were talking about the spring court and Feyre and how she like has big problems with the tithe and you know puts on her pussy hat and is upset <laughs> and uh then she seems to like have given up on her brief foray into like wealth redistribution she gets to the night court and oh like rice re- rice <laughs> reese is like <laughs> i can't not do it i'm sorry <laughs> like they go into this like magical jewel closet and it's like is probably also hoarding the jewels like, mm-hmm. but like, that's cool though. You know, it's just, it's just like shows like the limits of the analysis and also like the people who are affected by the tithe, you know, it just doesn't seem like they're really getting much of Feyre's attention anymore, obviously. Like, cause everything's like yeah. fine now in her lived experience. One of the things they try and like make it seem like everybody is good in Valaris. Like there's wealth equity there and like there's no problems in Valaris. So like, we don't need to worry about what's going on there. But I'm like, that's obviously not true. Like, Rusan has like two homes and like all these like the shit like I there's some stuff going on around there that we don't know about not, like we're not seeing right and some of those like same class race class whatever species divisions are there in Valaris mm-hmm. too yeah yeah for sure just like showing the what the extent of Ferris political analysis is anyway she's not a historical yeah. material she's not a Marxist friends <laughs> Like, along that point, we really only get access to high-class spaces and persons who are rich and powerful, which, in my view, is a little bit of a lack of imagination. Yeah, I think the one person we don't is Alice, and she's not even in this book. Gender? We see Feyre using her perceived weakness as a weapon against Tamlin and Ianthe, and I think part of this is because she's a woman, because after seeing how she handled the trials and everything in the night court, all that stuff... Like, I feel like Ianthe and Tamlin should realize how strong Feyre is, but they're like, no, she's this, like, poor, weak woman. Like, we have to take care of her and coddle her and, like, all this stuff. And I'm like, you all walked right into that. Like, you deserve what you had coming, you know? Yeah. The whole uh, spying sequence was interesting. The what sequence? The, like, spying sequence, you know, when she was, like, undercover or whatever. Yes. Is when this, like, seems particularly, you know, in play. I've mm-hmm. actually found that like to be kind of a slow start for me on the reread. I think when I was reading it like boom straight through like it was made sense for me. Yeah it is a little slow at the start with all that stuff. But I agree with you that it's just like Feyre is a badass at the end of the day and at the same time lots of seems like this really hetero patriarchal world is you know not prepared for that like the the reason the fact that like Feyre is the only high lady it's ever been mm-hmm. it's like oh my yeah. god really. I mean, now that other guys like me is like, like, I want to be high lady too. <laughs> so she started some shit. That's for sure. That's good. <laughs> Mixing it up. We've talked about this a tad. We've like hinted at this a little bit, you know, as we've through the episode already, but, and, and we've definitely talked about it in previous episodes, but like issues asterisk with the gender essentialism and binary and then mating bond stuff which is actually pretty central to the world building and the magical system and the like Mm -hmm. character arc plot development. It's like, it's fundamental, you know, to how everything is constructed here. Yeah. I think we've talked about this and gotten into it in the previous episodes, but it's just like, (sighs) I am a little tired of it. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. There's the one, I think it might be Thiessen or someone who's like partner, like they're both male and but we don't like see like they don't have a mating bond. So I don't know what that means 
for for them like why don't they have a mating bond why are the only people we say with mating bonds like hetero couples i'd also be interested to see someone be like their mating bond like shakes up their worldview of like who they were (laughs) that could be really interesting (laughs) to be like i didn't think i was attracted to you know these people and then find out that you are like that would be interesting (laughs) yeah i think it could be used in a subversive way but currently Mm -hmm. like as it tally como esta it's not yeah for sure but also like are the is it like a cross species quote unquote or like intra you know with the high and lesser Mm -hmm. fae we don't see any like quote unquote miscegenation except Mm -hmm. for briefly with the people who are I think this was like maybe in the aftermath of the war in Highburn or something, but they talk about like the sexual violence that mm-hmm. the Fae commit against the human women. And then there are these biracial, bi- what would you call them? Bi-species? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. And they're like relegated to sex work, the women. Yeah. You know? And so mm-hmm. like that is a part of the, it's just like mentioned in passing, but I think it is like, it's still like constitutive of how people in this world are thinking and dealing with gender. Yeah, and maybe we'll see that dealt with a lot more in the next book because Cassian's not high fae, so I'm going to guess that might change a lot of like what we see, especially because like as with Asriel and like all of the inner circle, he did not have an ideal upbringing. <laughs> so hopefully, and his mom was like um, a laundry woman for the Illyrians previous to like being murdered. So maybe we'll see more of like what that means for like women in the Illyrian courts or like in the Illyrian peoples. Yeah, I don't know. Speaking of Cassian, I really was didn't want to find the like ca- some casual sexism in a joke, mm-hmm. you know, between Cassian Reese and Asriel. It's just like banal at this point for me. I'm just like too much of a killjoy, I guess. Not too much. I'm enough. I am enough. Zen. <laughs> Do my yoga nidra. <laughs> On page 181, I told you that the moment we started letting females into our group, they'd be nothing but trouble. It's like, yeah, good fucking trouble that you needed for a long time. And also, yeah, just the normalization of the separateness, I guess. It seems to be like the central disparity that Mass is playing Mm -hmm. around with, which makes sense because it's, you know, a white woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Everything's about gender, right? (laughs) Right, right. Oh, wait. We're also race all the time, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of sexual violence against women perpetrated by men because they're talking about like war and that sort of thing and colonization and stuff. And so it reminded me, but like when they're fleshing it out, these are mostly white women characters, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all, it reminded me very much of like Outlander, both the show and the book series, where it seems to be like the default for any AFAB person's like traumatic backstory is you know rape or sexual assault i just wonder are we just normalizing that then in our writing because it's like it depends on what this is used for in the plot you know but it just seems like a shorthand for like here's what this person needs a traumatic backstory oh she was definitely raped yeah i think um i know we're talking about me reading hood feminism before the show but i think that funny enough it ties in (laughs) because mickey kendall talks a lot in that book about like about white feminism and how like when talking about white feminism the biggest issue is always like the disparity between men and women which make you like on the surface kind of makes sense because you're talking about like women's issues i put in that in quotes Mm -hmm. but it like often comes back to like sexual violence without talking about like 
other issues at play there. So like even with Cassian's mom, for example, we see that she was raped and that's where Cassian came from. And she, but we don't really get to see the fact that like she's dealing with economic issues, like food scarcity issues. Like for some reason, we always come back to like the sexual violence as if that's the only thing that women deal with when like there are so many other issues at play and sometimes not to say that one's worth that worse than the other but like we have to think about like not every woman has like a backstory of sexual violence like and that's not the only thing that they can be dealing with you know what I mean exactly exactly thank you so much for saying it that way and we'll definitely put hood feminism in the show notes I didn't really think that abuse was going to come up so much in talking about in for this recording episode so we'll definitely put a content warning on here Lucian's mom Baron's wife on like quote choosing to stay in an abusive relationship and I think this is like a perfect segue from what you talked about like the gendered violence so like are we only looking at that part of it are we looking at how the system is you know I don't know it's actually really complicated even for people who like have this privileged position as far as in this system race class species whatever this like queen of uh, autumn court or whatever I don't know. It's actually like really complicated. And maybe this is just like a touchy for me right now, seeing like the FKA twigs stuff mm-hmm. and Shia LaBeouf and Marilyn Manson and, you know, all this stuff. It's like what I don't think that this is like as helpful of a narrative as like the, you know, why are the people committing the abuse and how does it get mm-hmm. aided and abetted in the most extreme to the most banal ways? Yeah. And I think it kind of goes back to like what we were talking about before with the sexual violence, like Lucian's mom stays, but like, I think she also knows like if she were to try and leave, like Baron would kill Lucian. And so sometimes we have to think about like, there are bigger issues at play for someone. And like, it's not always straightforward, especially when you have children, like your options are just different, you know? And I mean, if we're being honest, probably if she tried to leave Baron, like he would kill her. So it's just very complicated. Like you can't just always leave a relationship. I know sometimes like, I think I say like, Oh, just leave, just go, you know, but it's not like, I understand it's not always that easy just to like pick up your things and like get out of a dangerous situation. Right. I just want to point out that it's a a way that societally we end up framing these types of situations Mm -hmm. and almost blaming the victim. Exactly. Like why didn't you leave instead of like, why is someone abusing you? Totally. And it's like coming through also, what was I going to say? So it like comes through in our fantasy. It just shows you Mm -hmm. like that this is really it's really socialized and it makes its way into when we imagine different worlds and how, you know, in theory, the same rules don't have to apply, but we choose to make them apply, you know, for one reason or another. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have answers. We mainly just ask questions here. Yeah. You all can give us the answers. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Maybe it's not about the pursuit of the answers so much as it is about asking Mm -hmm. the questions. All right. That sounded like very wise. (laughs) (laughs) And scene coloniality hybern is like this invading force and i just was like struck by the caucasity i mean yes yep that's all i have that's yes. all that's yeah. all we're just putting that there ability body minds etc i had a lot here actually i see that this is gonna be our longest episode yet you're like cackle at me i'm sorry yeah it's already like an hour shit everyone is thin and hyper able we have magical prosthetics, Lucian's mm-hmm. eye, Helion's tinkerer's hand or whatever. And it goes into this like magical cure trope that we get a lot. 
Faye were learning to fly as an adult. Adult learning theory is like a whole thing field and praxis. So I was like glad that we actually spent time with like how it's really different to try and learn a new skill, you know, Yes. <laughs> depending on your age. I just, I like that because like Asriel's the one who volunteers to teach her because he was like, this isn't something I knew like forever. I like, I really like that scene, like him being like, it's different to learn things as an adult. That was cute. And it does get to this like core point about like, with certain skills or think about like literacy, for example, there are, it's very different to have the experience of remembering what it was like to not know mm -hmm. or to not have access to like a really substantial vein of knowledge. I don't know what I'm trying to say with that. No, I agree. Like even right now, I've been trying to learn Spanish for like over a year now and like trying to learn a new language. Like I don't remember what it was like not to speak English, but trying to learn to speak a different language. I'm like, this is so hard. Like how do our brains even do this the first time around? Like, it's kind of wild to even think about the fact that you could do that. Like what? Yeah. I mean, it's so much like pattern recognition, mimicry, mm -hmm. making mistakes, like just using it, like playing. Or even thinking about like the difference between reading something and hearing it. Like those are two different skills, I feel like. And so like yeah. trying to remember like, oh, I need to learn to listen to something as opposed to reading it, which like the reading is easier for me than the list, you know, so like those kinds of things. And I think also part of it is like, especially as an adult, getting used to like control and curate the environments around you and you have to be okay with uncertainty and like being out of your element and not understanding things and just like along for the ride a little bit rather than like driving yeah exactly so but it's like a whole like mindset also body mindset you know when it's hard because you have to be okay with being wrong yeah <laughs> and making mistakes which is hard and as an adult like that's how change happens and that's growth is change yeah. you know on the flying note nefel's story is definitely one of these like super crip tails mm -hmm. we have the <laughs> the winged creature equivalent of a limp right her wing is mm -hmm. deformed or disfigured or something and yeah so she's a queer crip so i like that but at the and at the same time it's like used as inspo yeah it's, Fa like, it's facebo what do, they, what do they call that like inspiration porn yeah yeah Wait, I want to leave room for you to say things if you have anything to if this is bringing up anything for you because i know this is like a little bit rapid fire no, it's okay. I don't have anything to add about Nafel. I or prosthetics or flying. No, I mean I did add about flying. That's prosthetics is hard because I'm like, it's cool because it's magic, but also it's like a cure, and I think that's different for different disabilities. Whereas I'm like, oh, my chronic illness, I would like that cured, please. But other people would not. So I think it's a on the person kind of. Th you know what I mean? Yeah, like, for sure. It's up to the person what they want. Definitely, and that's should be respected as well. You know, mm -hmm. for sure see disablement used as a punishment a lot of the time this is especially prevalent with ianthe and pharaoh was just like losing it yeah this one was hard for me because i'm like yeah fuck ianthe i hate her but at the same time i'm like i know i like i'm like yeah kill them violence yay but in real life i'm like not really for that like corporal punishment is like uh i'm like super not okay with it don't do that in real life like don't spank your kids i'm not here for it yeah good to point out that sometimes what I want in a book is not what I want in real life. <laughs> <laughs> they are two different things, two different two zones. Different things. I have a bit of a Ted talk. Okay. Let's hear it. All right. It's about sanism. I've heard it used as like a way to nuance the conversation about ableism, specifically talking about like mental illness or mad, crazy, insane, other iterations. 
But like by page 16, they're already calling someone, you know, going mad or something. And it's like used as like a consistent way to, I don't know, it's used in a lot of different ways, but it's like a lexical shortcut that actually lets you off the hook from providing a specific critique like the king of Highburn's white colonizer and slaver entitlement and violence is the issue. Not that he's like crazy, quote unquote, you know, it's actually mm-hmm. like very, it's like very premeditated. And that's to say people who are like, who have mental illness or whatever, are can't like plan things. I don't know. Just like the, the idea that capacity and sanity are like completely divorced as a person with anxiety and depression. And I know like no folks with bipolar and borderline and autism and myriad other conditions like neurodivergent or whatever that are really no one else's fucking business, but like they get, they like always get brought into the conversation. If you're going to like call someone crazy or call someone insane or call something lame, you know? So like, I wanted to put that out here on this section and like go as far as to argue that like so-called neurotypical people actually have a lot to learn from those of us who are like quote unquote crazy or mad or whatever. And rant. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I 100% agree. I realized this like as we were reading like how many times they like said mad or crazy or whatever. And one of the things is it just like takes away from like the response like like you said like it takes away from the responsibility that Highburn has for what he's done to people because like that's like you said it's not to say that like people with mental illness can't also do bad things like everyone can do bad things but to like blame it on mental illness takes away the blame does that make sense like sometimes mental illness can be used as a way to say like you know sometimes people might not be responsible for an action you know because of like chemical things that are going on in your brain and body like you can't help some things but like that's not what's going on with highburn like he is specifically deciding to do these things it's not the result of any mental illness it's not the result of whatever they're trying to blame it on like you said like it's his sense of entitlement and he is specifically perpetuating this violence and so it is really important to separate those two things like Obviously, people with mental illnesses can do terrible things, but sometimes mental illness might be the reason that something bad happens and someone doesn't, you know, like make a choice to do something like those are very different. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I know. I think I know what you're what you're saying. Yeah, just that it's like a much more complicated conversation than this. And Mm -hmm. the shorthand, I I don't even know if that's fucking ableist. Who knows? (laughs) Like it's it's everywhere, you know, it's like in our conversations and it's in our and I just think like, especially in a pandemic, like don't tell, like I would be shocked if the majority of people aren't, you know, experiencing mental illness, maybe some of them mm-hmm. for the first time, you know? Yeah. Like it's PTSD a, once this is over. For, like, yeah, fucking it's so true. Like I'm scared to go outside a lot of the time now, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like real fucking issues. And I'm just like not here for the sanest, you know, just like elision of the experience and like use it as a shortcut. Yeah. And and it's hard because I don't know if I said it very well. I just mean that like what I meant to say is like you can't blame like mental illness is not a, a reason to blame someone for their violence against huge swaths of people. Like that's not an excuse, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's like also I don't like I mean, obviously we don't really get to see into Highburn's mind, but doesn't seem to be suffering from mental illness in a way that people are using it in this context. Right. Because it's usually used in a way that's like, oh, yeah, you're in that's in that's impossible, like mm-hmm. surprising. Yeah. That's unreal. Or it's just like it 
but it can mean so many different things. And so I'm like, when they use that, I'm like, what do you know? What do you actually mean? Is it yeah, frustrating? Like, is it like, yeah. it could be any number of things. Like, is it actually crazy? Yeah. Cause I think what they're trying to say is it's impossible for like the inner circle to imagine that someone would want to do these things. So since they can't imagine it, they must be crazy. And that's just, okay. Like, people are different and live their lives differently. Like obviously Hibern's a piece of shit. Like that doesn't make them crazy. And also how does that help people who actually have mental illness to call things that are terrible and bad. And so out of this world that you can't even imagine the possibility of someone thinking that way, crazy. Like how is that helpful? Like it doesn't make any sense. I just am basking in how you said that. That felt so validating to hear. (laughs) Just takes me a while to get the words into the right way. No, that was like, (laughs) Oh, I just so needed that. Thank you finally it's time for shipwrecked a segment about asexuality sexuality sex romance and relationships and sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own nessian i can't wait (laughs) (laughs) the palpable anticipation here Mm -hmm. i'm like really here for the the tension for this ship i ship this i ship it too another ship We'll jump ship too. <laughs> oh my god, I'm I'm gonna I'll stop with the puns, I promise. The puns, <laughs> the puns. Elaine, Lucian, Asriel, Triangle. I don't really know how to feel about this. <laughs> I'm guessing we're about to see like the reaper oh well hopefully there's like an Elaine novel, but like the repercussions of like Lucian and Elaine are mated, but I feel like Asriel and Elaine are like meant to be like their otp so i don't know why can't we just you know have a thruple we can but lucian doesn't really seem that great so like i don't really want him with elaine (laughs) he can be the second he can be their second there's like a whole world of opportunities that these like hetero people have no idea about I don't I have I have no knowledge up here for that. Oh no, so I'm not like, talking about you. I'm talking about these like Faye. No, no, no. <laughs> I know, but in, in my mind I'm like, you know, I can't imagine adding a third person, so like this is harder for me to imagine. I just need to like broaden my horizons, I think. <laughs> Send me your thruple romances, please. <laughs> like I don't see why they couldn't all have a lovely time together. It would That's require true. them to actually talk about that problem. So, and things like it really would require communication. So maybe that's why it won't happen. And I feel like it would put a lot of stress on Elaine to be like the facilitator of emotional conversations since both Lucian and Asriel seem like the not talking types. <laughs> maybe they can just be sex friends. <laughs> <laughs> All See, like these are so many options. It's like a constellation of possibilities. Maybe Elaine doesn't need to be in a relationship with either one of them. She can just have sex with both of them. Exactly. Uh, see, we're like really massaging this. Yes. Together and <laughs> apart. <laughs> the three of them and like two of them at a time. Whatever she wants to do, I'm just here for it, actually. Exactly. <laughs> we have some mentor-mentee and student-teacher relationships that I, I love this shit because probably because like I've been in education my whole life and I am a teacher and a student and all this stuff. But like Amran and Nesta and Azriel and Feyre, I just, I like this, you know, when we get these like scenes of that are intimacy and like character development, but not in like a romantic and or heroic sort of way necessarily. Mm -hmm. We don't get a lot of that in these books. (laughs) Core going molten. (laughs) I'm letting it hang there in the air. 
like I understand, but at the same time, like, why do we need to describe it in this way? <laughs> I've been listening to WAP recently because like it just keeps coming up on TikTok and I'm obsessed. So I'm like, yeah, why can't we just describe things as they are? Like, I don't want to say it, but like other people can say it and that's fine. But this is young adult adjacent. So that might be part of the cliche. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of euphemisms. Yes. I noticed. Yes. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Core going molten. There's also a lot less sex in this book or even like sex adjacent activities than in the last book. And I think because like the war is going on, they're like, we don't have time. And I'm like, you weirdly found time to do it any other book. But like, that's fine, I guess. <laughs> I would say no time but the present. <laughs> no time but the present. Resant's about to die. Like, get it in while you get can. Get that dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't, don't listen to this with your small children, I guess. <laughs> it's explicit for a reason. Okay, we definitely can't talk about this novel without talking about how Moore is treated as a queer person. Like, what the fuck? Not how she's treated by the characters, but kind of like the slut shaming from the authorial perspective. Like, I don't feel good about this. I think I mentioned this in the Akamath spoiler section, but because she isn't having the conversation with Asriel about how she's not into him and pretending to be into other people to protect Asriel's feelings, which also she's not protecting his feelings at all. And yes, I realize Asriel is not telling her about his feelings either, but like when he tried to tell her, she literally ran away and then she spent 500 years avoiding talking about it and the whole inner circle needs to go to group therapy because like I just cannot fucking do this anymore. <laughs> it's so dysfunctional like her behavior is is used as a way to say that like this is why she's like her queerness is used to to explain away her behavior of like sleeping around as if she can't do that if she's hetero and like as if it needs an excuse she can sleep with whoever the fuck she wants to but also is used as a way for her to treat Asriel like shit like it's just bad all around I hate it yeah, it's like almost a parallel in that way to how the mad and insane is used. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know if you noticed, but Helion is also queer and yeah. like more open about this sexuality. Mm -hmm. But it's like it's got like this timber of uh, like, yeah, it's promiscuous or yeah, they're, mm -hmm. they're slutty, you know, because yeah. their desire isn't heteronormative and it doesn't yeah. re result in children. Right. And because she like maybe doesn't want to have like this relationship with Asriel because Asriel would want like a monogamous relationship or whatever that means she has to go out and have sex with more people as if like that's somehow wrong for her to do like I don't know yeah I just feel like more is not treated well from the author's perspective <laughs> I would agree with that group therapy for them mm -hmm. group therapy for the inner circle go get a mediator pay them for yeah, their maybe work cast like Cassie and more and Asriel need to like just have a chat like friends can be lovers but also yeah. don't have to be it's like you can make any relationship work if you're willing to like talk about it and then more is like weird about the nesta cassian thing and i'm like okay like you don't get to be jealous and then also just like flirty with someone like i don't know i, I didn't i didn't also didn't appreciate that like jealous vibe that more is giving off because i'm like dude cassian obviously likes her you're just like flirting with him which is 100% fine I'm a Libra I get it but like <laughs> you don't then get to be jealous when he wants to like actually be in a relationship with some I don't know it was just like real shitty all around yeah yeah this is harder to read honestly since coming out as a queer person because mm -hmm. the queer characters as we talked to like are treated as like promiscuous and we as readers this is what you're saying is like we get Feyre's judgy perspective you know which is 
like the tone we can't like really speak to intention authorial intention but like honestly Mm -hmm. that's the tone that we get is the slut shaming like you mentioned and in the system like both in the book and like irl outside of the book in our existence you know queer desire and relationships threaten the threaten the heteronormative mandate to reproduce but like at the same time all these hetero folks get their chosen family you know all these trauma bbs get to find their chosen family together and that's Mm -hmm. fine yeah also don't put pressure on people to reproduce that's gross yeah exactly queer or not queer like no thank you (laughs) and i think it's like getting into like the violences experienced while in the closet and it's just like a lidesmore's story of 500 years or whatever of closeted terribleness and and it's again it's like the sexual violence is the only possible trauma arc and i don't know maybe i can wrap this up by starting on by ending on a little bit of a different tone one thing that i really loved is in moore's when she's talking to Feyre and coming out to Feyre, she mentions Rita's, a bar in Valaris. And it like puts things together for Feyre that like, oh, you know, she was always there and it's like a gay bar or queer space or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's so true that queer people always find spaces and practices of liberation, even if they're like fleeting and not permanent. But, you know, that there's always like that's always there. Maybe there's like a gravitational pull or something. Yeah, like it's really important to find your people that you can be like open and honest, like be your like authentic self with. Now we're going to talk about writing style, <laughs> writing style, <laughs> <laughs> writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind. Also some publishing trash talk in the segment called Kill Your Darlings. Let's do it. The modifier savage similar with like crazy or whatever it's just like but what Mm -hmm. do you mean and i think because it's like such a loaded term as far as colonization and settler colonialism Mm -hmm. and like indigenous people and there is like a whole conversation about indigeneity happening here that i'm not really sure that we've gotten into but it's just it's like whenever anyone is like unhinged or wild they're like savage yeah so not really here for it i think it's just like not a helpful modifier at this moment so no not like i'm canceling a word but like kind of (laughs) but like we can also think of different ones you know there's this scene (laughs) that i was reading it (laughs) and uh where cassian picks lucian up in his arms and they're flying together and i just like want to manifest some fan art about that scene because it just seemed like so tender and mask intimacy needs to be normalized like why not it's like one of those scenes in my head where i whenever someone's carrying someone else when they're flying i'm like how do they carry them like like a baby or like <laughs> legs wrapped around the waist you know what like i mean like a front like, piggyback yeah because that's what i like to imagine <laughs> for obvious reasons <laughs> but <laughs> but i imagine they have to carry them like a baby you know what i mean or like like, like when you quote unquote bridal style yeah, that's what I mean by like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a childlike hair. So, or is it like on the hip? You know how like you carry a toddler like on the, yeah. to the side? Like, I, I just don't know. It's a lot of limb to make yes. room for. Yes. I'm just saying, are Lucian's legs wrapped <laughs> around Cassian's body? <laughs> That's all I need to know. I just need this like mental picture in my head to maybe like, we can um, carry me to manifest sleep. fan art from a few different angles and scenes, <laughs> <laughs> positions. 
maybe this should have gone and shipwrecked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had to do a smells like YA section. Mm-hmm, Not gonna. Mm, get. I've been waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have, which we've talked about in previous episodes, citrus and cedar. No, 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 mm-hmm. not citrus and sea. It's citrus and sea salt is mm-hmm. like Valaris and Reese and stuff. <laughs> it's like, oh, which like maybe he uses citrus shampoo or something. But also Valaris seems like a northern place. So like if we're going to talk about trade routes with the south, like where are you getting your citrus from? But the one that I found that I thought was that one we've seen before, but I saw a new one. And it is a scent of night chilled mist and cedar. <laughs> some strange smells i mean i guess i get the night chilled mist do I you know what they mean do you yeah i don't get that like it's foggy here at nighttime sometimes and it, there is a smell okay well maybe like that's a, just me i live in a place that has like zero humidity yeah yeah i think that is okay it. so it's me but i don't it's you <laughs> okay also there's magic so they probably grow citrus there by magic <laughs> you're right thank you for calling me on my shit mm. It's fine. It's easy to forget, like, the magical world. (laughs) You just suspended your disbelief. (laughs) I already mentioned this, but I really appreciated the chapters from Reese's er, perspective, especially at the end where, like, Reese is just with, like, Cassian and Azrael, and they're just, like, watching more and Farah and Amran, like, chat and laugh and talk and have a good time now that everyone's safe and shit. So I just, it was cute. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> some heart heartwarming shit right there yeah okay so we got there's a because the court of silver flames is coming out and it'll be like newly released when this episode comes out i thought it'd be interesting to put a little space here for like the new covers and like the ya new adult thing and how useful are these distinctions now in 2021 versus when sjm was like coming out with her series earlier like because they're probably they're in production all the 2010s right I think so. Yeah. This one came out in 2017. So if like a book takes a long time, it's like already in the works for a long time to get published. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't have answers. Obviously. I don't like the new covers. I mean, yeah, I'm not even sure how important the distinction is now between YA and new adult because new adults not really that popular anymore. I did see someone on, (laughs) on TikTok or it was on Instagram saying how like, people read the YA books because they hate the new adult covers with just like naked chests on them, which I get the, I don't like those covers. Like I don't want that on my bookshelf. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But I feel like young people these days are so much more exposed to like sex and like, I think that's really the big distinction, like sex and violence in the difference between YA and new adult. And I feel like young people are so much more exposed to that. Like, I don't know how important it is. I mean, if a young person asked me for this book, I'd be like, sure, but there's sex in it. Not like, but, and there's sex in it. So if you're not comfortable reading that, like you should know that ahead of time, but like it's up to the, to the reader. Yeah. Really. You know? Mm-hmm. Agreed. I just think that, yeah, we're seeing that, that they're not as important as they were. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. like, and that the, like reading across genre. And we're also problematizing, you know, why specifically women of color can get sometimes mm-hmm. say it's YA when it's adult. And I don't know, yeah. just like, the weird dynamics Mm -hmm. that are going on. I would say having read a lot of new adult books um, and it's like early aughts and reading a lot of YA my entire life, I would say that the, the sex in new adult books is less euphemisms. And that might be the biggest distinction, like reading the Crescent city book, the first one, like the biggest difference was there were less euphemisms. Like 
there wasn't that much difference between the amount of violence in these books and those books. You know what I mean? Right. And the characterization of the like the protagonist was even kind of similar. Yeah. Like I feel like the main character in Crescent City was basically Feyre with red hair. <laughs> Who is basically Aelin. Yes, with red hair. <laughs> like, I mean, you know. I know what you mean. Yeah. And But at the same time, it's a massively popular series. Yeah. Like, I ourselves mean, included. Like, we enjoy it, too. So. I'm an adult who will rewrite YA forever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, we do see these like new adult, I mean, the young adult authors starting to write adult books, though, now, like, obviously, Sarah J. Mass, Lee Bardugo, Sandy Menyon, like, they're writing adult stuff. And that's also fine. Find your audience, I guess. Yeah. And people use like pen names and do mm-hmm. romance novels, too. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. kind of what you're talking about, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I get it. Like, I guess you want to appeal to different audiences, but I just don't know how important this distinction is anymore. Just give us books without the euphemisms for sex. The young people can handle it. It'll be fine. They know what you mean. Or maybe they don't. And then what damage are we doing? Right? And I've seen them in the library checking out Fifty Shades of Grey. And I'm not really sure that's where they should be starting anyway. (laughs) Exactly. So So like, and also like no, like no masturbation or anything Mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. As far as like, what are the sort of sexual messages that we're giving? Mating bonds, those sorts of things. Yeah. True. Although there is masturbation, I think, in the last book. So that's true. But it was all it was still together. Wasn't it? it? I don't think so. I think they were apart. Like Rissand was gone and she was like, oh, okay. I miss him. I'm going to do this. (laughs) I'm like, okay, like it's a day that ends in Y. I'm going to do this. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little treat for the people who listen to all the way at the end of the episode. (laughs) Yeah, right. recommend if you like carnival row tv show also did a shitty job dealing with rays but fairies are hot right so like we're gonna be fine with it <laughs> that's sarcasm quasi <laughs> i mean we'll watch mm. it and then we'll should talk it later yeah um cruel prince same deal <laughs> these fairy novels i would like um if anyone has a suggestion for a fairy novel with black characters i would like to read that Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't know of any. Or a fairy novel that looks at whiteness critically. Yeah. And the fairy relationship to white because it's like it seems like a mythology that comes out of like the British Isles and and like mm-hmm. continental Europe or whatever. Mm-hmm. And anyway, yeah, we want yeah. we want different fairy novels, so please give us your suggestions like Jesse said. Before we end, it's time for real talk. Did you, God damn it, did reading this book make your perspective change in any way? Or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend that you hadn't before? Okay, even though I really love the pining of Akamath, I kind of want more books where the ship is already in a relationship and we see them figuring out how to be in relationship with each other without worrying that they'll break up. I really appreciated the scene where like Farish kind of she kind of like snaps at Rissand like in front of everyone and she kind of like feels weird about it like maybe she shouldn't do that in front of people like kind of setting up their boundaries as people in relationship with each other but it was really nice to see like how two people can love each other and set up boundaries and like not worry that like it's the end of the world. I say that as a person with anxiety who always thinks like the worst is going to happen, but (laughs) it's nice to see that other people like set up boundaries and like, don't worry that it's going to be the end of (laughs) everything. (laughs) 
yeah yeah i just appreciated it it was nice to see i love that you put this in here because it's a really good point that like how do we build up this effective i'm I'm really interested in like as between like the reader and the character and then the writer facilitating this relationship like how do you build the emotional investment in the ship without mm-hmm. like necessarily watching them get together mm-hmm. you know like how do i'm really curious now that you put this out here like how how do we come into like an established relationship and still make that exciting and sexy and all that shit? Yeah. Or even like, I guess part of the reason maybe I enjoyed this book a little bit more on the second read is that like, I already knew that they weren't going to break up at the end and Rhysand wasn't going to die. So you kind of get to like appreciate their relationship a little more. So maybe even like over the course of a series, but yeah, it is, I think it's probably really difficult to do without something big and terrible coming along, like, like a war, Right, right. <laughs> you know? My real talk point is that libraries are a maze. Mm, yeah, I do love them. <laughs> They're vast troves of amazingness. I don't know if words are failing me. And we get to see them as safe spaces, which I like appreciated, both for like Rasand when he's like going through it and like the women librarians who are there who had been victims of various kinds of assaults. That was like their safe space. So I appreciated that. Yeah. Just shout out to libraries. Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in June with new book discussion episodes, so send us your recommendations, please. We will have at least two special episodes during the break, so don't worry, we are not going to be gone for too, too long. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks, even during our break. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at The Library Coven. You can post or tweet about the show using the hashtags Critically Reading and The Library Coven, and you can contact us via email at thelibrarycoven at gmail.com. You can subscribe to The Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice. (laughs) I zoned out there for a second. I know. So I was like, what is, why isn't she talking? And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad folks out there who you think would enjoy it. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can tip us on coffee, Kofi, who knows? And you can support us monthly on Patreon. It's a pay what you can model in exchange for early access to episodes. We want to do swag, maybe some other things. So fill out that survey and then help influence the direction we go in. And you can also support the show by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Kelly is recording on Cheyenne, Ute, and Arapaho land. Jesse is recording on Peoria, Kaskakia, Payankasha, Weya, Miami, Muscotin, Odawa, Sak, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land. Until next time, stay magical. Stay magical.